Howdy, God Almighty, it's the Sweat Equity Podcast. I am recording this intro at my house because I forgot to record an intro right after I finished this interview. Let's do a little uh, house cleaning, a little clean sweeping, a little, uh, you can hear my dog crying out there like he's been abused. His name's Bo Jackson, formally, but we just call him Bo Jacks for short. It's a good time saver. So let's do this. Uh, subscribe, rate, review. That's our cheat code to get up. A lot of people have been doing this and helping us out, and that's great. We do this for the love of the game. We don't get paid for this until we do, just like a lot of what the interviews you're going to hear. Uh, if you go backwards and kind of listen to some of those or the ones we have lined up for the future, I'm pretty excited about. We're starting to get some PR people like hitting us up. Hey, I've got the CEO of this company. I heard about your podcast. I want to come on, which is really strange. I don't either that's a really good sign or the, the PR person, and this is more likely, just has never listened to our podcast and just saw the title and thought it would be good. Either way, some cool stuff coming up. And you can tell people about this podcast. Hey, man, I heard about Outcast before they were Outcast. I heard them when they're Southern Playlistic Cadillac music. That's where you want to be with this podcast. But now we want to make sure to tell some people about it. Uh, other than that, we uh, this is a summer series without Caleb. Caleb is our co-host. If you haven't listened, uh, you know probably plus four or five episodes back, he's uh, he's working on his own sweat equity project, which is uh, the scouting block, which is basically he films little boys. Oh, I gotta stop introing that way. God. All right, he basically he he's going out and he's he's becoming a intermediary, uh, someone that's helping video baseball players, and then he has the connections to turn around <clears throat> and give give them to scouts and uh, coaches. So he's out there working on his kind of passion project and hopefully something that will uh, you know catapult him into entrepreneurship on his on his own. So. Uh, we leave the chair open for uh, Caleb. He'll be coming back, I'm sure, in a couple weeks. And this week's episode, I'm excited about. Uh, Jenny Wolf is a friend of mine. When we, when I used to work with Sola Salons, Sola Salon Studios, basically it's hairstylists or nail techs. They rent out their own. Uh, they rent out their own like 100 square foot to 200 square foot kind of salon and the idea of the concept is for the GM or the franchise owner to kind of take all the overhead out of running your own business. It's kind of one of these sneaky things that most guys have no idea it exists. It's one of these things where they've empowered about 7,000 salon owners. Most are not salon owners before they go there. And Jenny... And I were simpatico because we both have a lot of hustle, um, and we were kind of younger than a lot of the franchisees. And so when we met up, it was uh, when we met. It was a lot of good ideas back and forth, and at least she was able to entertain me, just constantly pitching ideas to her of how we could do more. And so uh, she was gracious enough to uh, come on the podcast. A little bit of technical difficulties in the beginning, but then we get through it. So, without, uh, I don't want to say without further ado, let's see, I'll, I'll do it like I'm at a Mon stand-up uh, show, uh, coming to the stage, you know her from clubs and colleges all over the country, let's give it up for Jenny, whoa!
So, uh, we can this interview which, uh you know we can make a metaphor that you know that's kind of that's kind of your style i mean that's you're just like look i don't want to have this guy's earwaxy kind of headphones in there but uh you know i promise you do this. right <laughs> well a lot of people don't have that they'd be like no we'll just do this later you know like mm-hmm. that would be a cutoff for a lot of people so it's kind of interesting how that kind of plays out in real time while we're doing this uh but basically, you came from a, a ad agency, I think. Um, so yeah, my uh, first job in the real world, aside from all my you know small odd jobs, was actually running events for Cronky Sports. So I think working in the events world really uh, prepared me to shake and move as much as I could in a single day. So I had five years of event experience running around the biggest building in Denver, Pepsi Center, doing all sorts of events. Any non-ticketed event came through my department and uh, I survived the Great Depression layoffs of 2008. And my part-time staff and my boss and my boss's boss were all let go. And uh, the day of the layoffs, I went to the vice president of the company and the first question he asked me was, um, well, this is weird because I'm your boss now and I have no idea what you do. So. Um, you know, at 24 years old, I was managing a, you know, huge piece of the business. And, uh, you know, my boss prior to that was, you know, the person who I learned everything from. So um, I was really thrown to the wolves in that scenario. Uh, Cronky Sports not only owned the Pepsi Center, but also owned uh, two other venues in town. So a soccer stadium and a small theater in downtown Denver. So there were certain days when I was in all three venues in one day. Yeah, uh, running it, events all at the same time. Well, your ability to multitask is kind of amazing. Like, uh, because of you know my my working uh, with a, a soul of fran- my working Jesus uh, working with a soul of franchise group, and then seeing your efforts on a on a uh, on the national level as a, a franchise marketing director, you have to wear a lot of hats and be like a badass project manager. Um, and I tell everybody like, you're not like people aren't born to be like, like online marketers or, uh, you know, they're not born to, to be, uh, project managers on an inner, on a franchise enterprise level. This is kind of just stuff that it's kind of like that grit part is like, figure it out because you have to, right. mm-hmm. no, it, what did you want to do? Like growing up? I honestly really didn't know. I thought maybe I wanted to be a teacher (laughs) and I could not have gone in a different, more different direction Um, of, you know, I I was a writing major, so I really, and and I was a creative writing major. So, um, you know, while I read a lot and learned a lot that way, I just learned how to express myself, um, words and, um, you know, I was a sociology minor, so I didn't really know what I was going to do. I used to tell my dad I was going to make the best damn English muffins anyone had ever had. He was not too happy with the, the uh, you know, English major choice being that my school had one of the top business schools in the country. And, uh, you know, here I was reading Jane Austen. So, um, you know, I, I definitely didn't have a clear path career-wise. I was um, in college, I wrote for a music magazine. So that was kind of 
fun and, uh, you know, got me out there. I got to see a lot of music and write about it. And um, then, I, you know, I wanted to get into music and uh, events. And that's how I ended up over at Crunky Sports. Crunky um, Sports sounds like the most Denver kind of uh, yeah kind of business where it's like, we don't want to be called crunchy, but we want to be just a side of that. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's someone's last name um, and he owns all the teams here in Denver. And it's actually funny because before I started run, you know, running the events department at Pepsi Center, um, I, I was working for a small music venue in Denver. I was making like seven bucks an hour and uh, the bar manager said to me, you know, I know you're not surviving on seven bucks an hour. And I was like, nope, I don't really think I'm surviving quite yet. And she said, well, why don't I get you a job serving beers at the Pepsi Center? So I started out actually like every game night with, you know, Coors banquets just running down my elbows, running beers out to people watching games. And then six months later, I got hired in the events department. So um, definitely worked my way up there from rags to riches. <laughs> yeah. I mean like that, that's like our generation kind of has to do, like I make the joke, like we're all like, uh, Jamaicans in New York, we have to do like nine jobs, like before you get to what you really want to like get involved in. Um, but I think that's all good stuff. I think that's all like, <laughs> You have to, A, you have to know like what sucks, you know, oh, yeah. to, to know mm -hmm. you don't want to do it. Right. Well, and, and when I went in for my interview to be part of the events team, I didn't have that I was a beer server on my resume. And uh, the guy, uh, my one of my favorite people in the whole world who ended up, how I say it, taking me in off the streets, he said, you know, I heard a rumor that you're a beer runner during games. You know, why don't you have that on your resume? And I said, well... I'm doing that for money. I'm not really doing that to build my resume. He said, well, did it ever occur to you that in the events department, we need you to know where all the kitchens are. We need you to know where all the catering pantries are. We need you to know where the entrances to the buildings are and where to go get, um, you know, uh, carts and different things like that. You need to know where the loading dock is. And I'm like, I just honestly am feeling kind of, bad about myself that I'm a beer runner. <laughs> I didn't really want that on my resume because I've got this other job that I'm the office manager of a music venue. And that at my time at the time seems a little more prestigious. And he was like, actually, I'm going to hire you because you're the beer runner, not because you work in this other office. Really? So yeah, so you know, it was it was just a, a testament to not be ashamed of what you're doing to get your life, you know, to take care of yourself and put all the pieces together. And, um, you know, it, it was funny because my first day I started right after New Year's in, at Pepsi Center uh, in my big girl job. And, um, you know, it was funny because I, I show up and I'm wearing like my heels and my nice outfit and I've got my radio and all my server friends were like pissed. <laughs> They're like, you sell out. <laughs> what are you doing? I'm like all dressed up nice. I'm like, I work for the other side now. And they were all like, what you know so it was it was just kind of a funny transition for me but well, I, I still mean, got to hang with all them and you know be at all the games and be there in, in one of the most exciting venues in Denver so it was a lot of fun yeah and I think that's like that's that thing of being authentic uh to like 
uh, it's a good thing he asked about that or like mm -hmm. the, wh whoever was hiring you was uh, a little bit more inquisitive about about what you're doing. I always say like, well, I'm starting to get a lot of resumes now uh, for people that want to work with us. And I kind of, I don't really, I don't care. I mean, I know I'm, uh, I'm kind of uh, <laughs> uh, a little bit different than most I'd say about kind of business, but I would say I don't give a shit about school really. Like, I think that's cool. I think it's, it's a good thing. I don't think it's a negative if you didn't go like I, to me, it's more about like, what did you fill your day up with when you were struggling? Were you like military people were great uh, if they got out and kept doing a lot of stuff right at, as soon as they got out. Now, I know that's a lot easier. I'm going to preface that for anybody that's listening. That's like, well, you know, it's hard for a lot of military people to get jobs. I'm saying like, I'm saying like uh, the people that they, they fill their 18, 19, 20, I don't care if you go to college or not, as long as you're learning stuff along the way, like, Hey, I did three jobs, but one of them was an assistant for a law firm, a runner. And they taught me, you know, how payroll actually works in a business, how, you know, accounts receivable works, those kind of things where you're getting all the meat off the Buffalo of the business you're working for. Yeah. I don't know Absolutely. if that, was, that, that wasn't a question. I didn't end on the question for you, but, uh, but no, I, I totally, like I totally agree. And, you know, I think that the times you learn different things, you know, there were times so I, you mentioned, you know, when we started, yeah, my, where I learned how to do marketing was uh, working for an agency. So after about five years at Kroenke, I moved uh, over to a really awesome boutique agency called Motive. Uh, we're a creative shop here in Denver. We also have an office in New York. And um, I, I interviewed six times. And it was probably my 14th hour of interviewing with them, maybe longer. And uh, he said, you know, I just, uh, I don't know, I, I like you, but I don't really know why. And I don't really need somebody that knows how to run the Pepsi Center here. You know, I need somebody, you know, we're a marketing shop and we're doing experiential programs and, you know, you don't have the experience that I'm looking for and I just, I'll, I'll get back to you. And I just said, well... If you're not gonna if you're not gonna give me a job offer right now, then I'm not calling you back. I'm not emailing you back. I'm moving on. I gotta move on. And he said, "I'll be right back." And he he left the room. He pulled me out to do this crazy ring of fire. I had to get in the circle of 25 people that worked at the agency, and in about two minutes, all 25 of them asked me a question, and I just had to blurt out the first thing I thought of. And then he took me back in the room and he gave me a job offer. And I, um, I think that's awesome. I yeah, I mean, it was it was awesome. But you know what I what I kept saying through this whole interview process was, you know, coming from an events background, you can't just be so focused on the actual tactical job that you're doing every day. What I really feel like I learned so much coming from an events background was number one, multitasking, how to have like five events going on at the same time with multiple devices and radios blowing up at the same time. And mo more importantly than that was working with a wide variety of personalities. So how do you talk to different people when you're running an event? You got to get to know people and figure out how to get on their level so that when you're trying to get shit done, you don't, you're, you're delegating in the right way that you're speaking to people the way that they like to be talked to. So I said, you've no idea the amount of personalities that I've 
worked with and that I have figured out how to get along with. And to me, that was the biggest thing that I learned in five years was how to just work with some of the most awesome and some of the most crazy people you could ever imagine. Yeah, I think that's really valuable too is like, yeah, you can um, you can learn how to be an event coordinator from a scheduling and coordinating uh, part but there's the, there's the human interaction part where it's not like you got to play people. It's like, I say you got to play to the person. Like you're not trying to swindle them. No, was, no, not at all. But you, but wanna, I could tell you, you, you got to know when you're, when your production manager is coming off a, you know, three day Madonna show, you might go to get your own flip chart this day <laughs> or you might go, you know, just grab their keys and offer to take it off their plate or whatever it's going to be that day. Or your catering staff, you know, that they were there running a wedding the night before till two in the morning. Like some of the ways that you just have to work with people is different. And also getting to know people. Some people like directness. Some people just want to be told what to do. They don't want you to beat around the bush and try to be all fun and friendly with them. They're like, how many tables do you need? And then there are other people that want you to be fun and friendly with them. Because if you just say, I need, they're like, you're a bitch. (laughs) So you just have to figure out the way that people like to, you know, be, be worked, you know, get, be, you know, how they like to work together. Yeah, and you and that's something that's uh, I think experience learning again gets you that mode of like you know, uh, and I get this a lot actually because I tell people yeah I've been doing stand up for like ten eleven years and they're like what you haven't said anything funny and I'm like well you don't do you want do you want your business done with a guy that's always trying to make a dick joke or do you want like do you want me to get shit done for you and right I'll I'll hang out. After hours, when I'm not on the clock, I'll hang out and I'll drink beers and tell you know tell jokes or do stage. You can come to the show, but when it's when it comes down to business, in the long run, you may like that in the beginning, but you won't like it when it gets in the weeds. Because what comes back to me, and it's happened a couple of times, is like I, I see you out all you know every night doing gigs and stuff. I don't think you're working on my stuff, and I'm like, no, no, no. I'll I'll show you exactly everything. I take this very right. seriously, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's super important. Like be good in the room kind of stuff and play off of people's personalities. The best thing I told, I tell everybody this, this is the best thing I ever did. And I've told probably 200 people to do this. And only one of my friends has done it is to take an improv class. And I know I'm a comedy nerd and like love everything comedy based, uh, growing up. But I'm saying like, I, I I tell everybody this, that's like, I need to do the Dale Carnegie kind of like a Toastmaster, whatever stuff. And I don't, I think that's good in a formal, if you're doing a Ted talk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Yeah. But I, I feel like, uh, the one guy that did it, the one friend of mine that did it, he, he did a six or eight week course or whatever. It really breaks you down. It makes you look, uh, introspectively a lot. Cause you're like, Oh whoa! I don't have history is not my wheelhouse for conversation because mm-hmm. I can't act out a scene. Like I did it when I was 23, 24, and I was like, "Whoa, I'm really dumb." Like I don't know like basic stuff that adults should know. Uh, and, I don't either. And, well, they we, we literally we did a scene that was in a court a courtroom, and I was like, "I've I've only watched Night Night Court. I I got nothing." Like you know, like this is like. 
I, yeah. I was like, oh, I got nothing on this because I'm not a real adult yet. And uh, the one buddy that took it, he was like, this is the best thing I've ever done because now I go to parties. I go to non-business stuff and everything's a little bit of a game. It's like, oh, I'm figuring out this person's character and now I can understand where they're coming from. So it's like exactly. a lot of people have the ego to talk in front of people, but they don't have that empathy part. And that mm-hmm. em- that's you have to have a good combo of both. Like you got to understand where needs are and then be able to like when you need to really kind of get shit done, that's when the ego comes in. It's like now I'm going to be super direct. You know, now it's time mm-hmm. to get to work. Um, mm-hmm. I, I don't know if you've had like similar kind of experience with that kind of empathy ego kind of area. It sounds like yes, but I don't know. Well, I, I definitely deal with that, you know, on being on stage at the solo session. So I've now spoken at two solo sessions, which are our live education events for our uh, salon professionals at Sola. And at the first event, I've got an audience. We did it. Uh, the event was in Denver. It was the day after the Broncos won the Super Bowl. The energy was just high. Everyone was stoked. It was the first ever solo session. Everyone was on fire. I get up there to speak and everyone's nodding. They're laughing. They're taking pictures of their, my slides. They're stoked about the whole thing. I can tell they're learning something. I see the light bulbs going off. I did this exact same presentation. Uh, to a different audience a couple months later, no nodding, no reaction. You know, it, it was a lot harder for me being on stage in that setting, which, you know, seeing in a an improv environment, I can see how you probably feel that way. I did take improv growing up. Um, I uh, took some acting classes growing up and then I took improv. I think I took improv in Australia and that was a hilarious place to be doing improv because you're like, I don't understand anything that anyone's saying. Um, and it was, you know, it's, it's fun. Yeah. I mean like that, but you, you had to sit there and kind of figure it out. You're like, Oh shit, I don't know the vernacular. Uh, but I'm going to have to play off everything in a character. All my characters yeah. are American. You know, like, oh yeah. <laughs> but I was mm-hmm. like, how many times have you walked into a conference room that has people waiting uh, to see you speak, or uh, in the the PowerPoint almost never works on a uh, first try for me at mm-hmm. least. Video conference almost never works for me on the first go around. Just like kind of <laughs> when we were starting this, right? <laughs> um, like, uh, how many times have you walked in to give a speech and like uh, you were told? you know, um, like there'll be a, there'll be a podium and there's no podium. And it's like, mm-hmm. well, uh, uh, I was going to hide behind that and like kind of have notes. And it's like, oh yeah, you can't use notes and you have to use a Bob Barker microphone now. And like, you, it's like, oh shit. Like you just go, okay, fuck it. Yeah, I'm fine. I'll figure it out. Yeah. Well, and that's what, I mean, I, that's another thing, like just coming back to this events background that I have, I mean, do you know how many times you show up for an event and it's supposed to be set up one way and it's set up a different way? And yeah. you're like, we need to f- either flip this room right now or we need to explain why this is the better setup or, you know, or showing up the morning after a, you know, sold out, you know, Kenny Chesney concert. And I've got like the, you know, breakfast for the March of Dimes and there's just cigarette butts all over the entire plaza. You know, what do you do in that situation? And it's all just improv just go with it you know it's all meant to be this way (laughs) you know we're gonna get it worked out so um that definitely prepared me for agency life because agency life was like 
you think you're going to dinner with your friends tomorrow night and then the next thing you know a new pitch rolls in at six o'clock at night and you're eating pizza and drinking beer at 10 p.m still working on ideas so you know it's just kind of rolling with the punches yeah i mean that the agency stuff that so now now if we're going through your kind of your occupational timeline you're kind of you're in a position where you're at an agency and you kind of okay i've got a bunch of random kind of jobs that give me this good um this good like uh, a quiver of uh of skills that are not always kind of not really your traditional kind of way of of uh acquiring them I, i'm making you sound like liam neeson now but uh <laughs> but i'm saying like you can kill people, but you can also run beer, you know? So it's one of those right. things where, uh, you, you have such a, uh, uh, it's a good diverse path that helps you when you're at an agency. Cause you've already had the fuck it, get it done kind of attitude, but you also have like, you know, you're not like, uh, I want bankers hours, you know, like going to an agency, you're going to have a lot of sacrifice. And a lot of that's going to come through in those late nights, where like pizza and beer just barely is like just one plus in many, many minuses while you're there. Like, it's like you've been sitting mm -hmm. in a room, you can't get, uh, you get blinders on when you do creative stuff with, in collaboration. I've been in those rooms. It's, it's fucking, it's, it's really tough and it's really frustrating. And for whatever reason, it's always a little sweaty, no matter how, how, cold the ac is <laughs> yeah it looks greasy i look right now in this video uh <laughs> but it's like always like a little bit uncomfortable like temperature like i'm gonna say uh the worst word ever is moist it feels like there's a weird like ugh, we've been sitting in this room for way too long and dudes can't smell smells over time you know when like a what i didn't know it smelled it's like this reeks like a fart. Like this smell, this whole room smells like <laughs> Yeah. Like it's like that's that kind of stench that's like can be in those like grinded out war room meetings. And it you have to have the attitude going in. It's like, yeah, whatever gets done, we have to do it. Like this is mm -hmm. I want to be successful, thus I have to sacrifice. Is there any kind of stories that you know you have from that the agency experience that you think kind of can kind of tell anybody that you know, I kind of talk about this podcast in, in the way of like, there's a lot of people our age that don't know what they want to do. And mm -hmm. I tell them that's fine. But for now you should just fill up your day with a bunch of shit like mm -hmm. that you think's in the right area. So like I get people that are like, I want to open my own restaurant one day. And I'm like, you have never worked at a restaurant. So you need to figure out how to talk to chefs, just like you're talking about. Like you need to figure out how, restaurant just watch a lot of bar rescue even just fucking mm -hmm. that. What, mm -hmm. what in your agency life can you kind of carry on for people that are kind of like i don't know if this is how your friends over there in denver are but i feel like i talked to a lot of my friends in the southeast and like they're kind of like i'd say a good 30 percent of them are like i i, I don't know what I'm, what i want to do kind of thing and mm -hmm. don't know which way to go um, yeah well, I was, um, you know, I was pretty burnt out on running events because I was doing 50 to 60 events a month. Whoa. And I was, I was like, you know, I, I always felt like I was just churning and I knew what needed to get done because it was all in my head. It, I didn't need it on a piece of paper. And, you know, I, 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 it was really fun when I was in my early 20s. And then I was like, you know, I'm ready to like 
you know, I know going to an agency, you still work a ton of hours, um, mm -hmm. but it's still a little bit different than being in events where, you know, you have games every weekend and breakfast every morning. I'm like, I, I just, I don't want to be like up at five o'clock in the morning and then at a wedding the next night, you know, working it. And, you know, I, I want to learn something new and it was really hard to break out of events. I looked all over the board and, you know, do I want to get into nonprofits, agency, marketing, do I want to do more writing? Do I want to stay in events? And I was interviewing and meeting all sorts of people. I mean, if I couldn't get an interview, I'd take them out for coffee, you know, and I just met as many people as I could. And when I started at the agency and he said, you know, all right, I'll give you a spot on our experiential team. I said, I, I just, I don't want to do events anymore. I, I love doing them but I don't want that to be all I'm doing. So if you need some help on your experiential team, I would love to help throw some events together, but I need to come here knowing that I'm gonna learn something new. So what do you think about that? And he said, why don't you start on the experiential team and we'll see where we can get some new projects for you when they come through the door. So, you know, two weeks later, he came to my, my desk and he, you know, the owner of the agency came to my desk and he said, you know, they, they all called me Jay Wow at the agency. And he said, hey, Jay Wow, you said you want to do a, a website, right? I'm like, yeah. He goes, have you ever built a website before? I go, no. And he drops a, a brief on my desk and he says, get me a timeline and a technology document by the end of the day and the project is yours. Christ. And I'm like, what's a technology document? And he just walked away. Like, no one's going to teach me how to do this here. Nobody has time. I went to one person, I'm like, do you know where I could find some sample technology documents? And she's like, I'm sure there are some on the server. You know, like nobody has time to teach you how to do that. So I'm Googling it. I'm reading through technology documents. I'm just fumbling my way through it. Fake it till you make it, right? I put some technology document together where I'm talking about different versions of, you know, different web platforms that will be, cap you know, that our website capabilities will function on. And I'm, I'm just totally winging it. I put together a timeline and I bring it to him and I'm like, here's the technology document. I don't know what it means. <laughs> and he read through it and he said, you nailed it. This project's yours. And I'm like, I don't even still know what any of that means, but all right. And from that point forward, I just ran with that project. Like I knew exactly how I was doing it. And now, you know, you know, five, six years later, I have now put together multiple websites and been able to work with web developers and um, you know I wouldn't have had that skill set to come here to Sola to do all that in-house if I didn't just figure it out and if I didn't know what I was doing and I wasn't willing to learn and teach myself how to do it in the agency environment that project just gets yanked from you and somebody who does know how to do it's going to do it. You know, there's not really a whole lot of time for people to sit around and go, I'm going to train you on how to do this. So I kind of kept doing that at the agency until eventually I was working on event programs, websites, social media, um, you know, and all sorts of other projects. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're, I mean the best lesson I got, professional uh, kind of schooling I got, uh, I was at a mutual fund company when I was living in LA and uh, we did a lot of stuff in Excel and, you know, you can know Excel, but un unless you're a turbo nerd, like, like Excel is, is daunting and scary. Right. And, uh, I'm good at math. I'm good at calculus. It's still like, um, it was still like, shit, I don't know. Cause it's like a mixture of that with, we're making portfolio snapshots for, for clients and stuff. And 
I was like, I wanted to learn more. And I was like, Hey, can you got, I, I, w- I don't want to be a grunt. I was 21 or 22 or something. I was like first job out of college. And I was like, Oh, I, like I, I want to do more. I want to, I want to get to where you all are, but I don't, I, I know the route is going to be making client portfolios. And I'd be like, Hey, um, how do you do that? V lookup formula in Excel. And a guy came over to my desk. He's like, Oh, let me show you. And he came over and uh, typed in Google and he's like, fucking figure it out yourself. And then just walked away. And I was like, <laughs> Oh man, ouch. And like three dudes are right. You know, it's an open kind of seating bullpen. And they're like, Oh, like in your like almost cafeteria style. Like you got just fucking worked. And I was like, you know what? I kind of, for me, I learn better that way by someone going, you know, maybe it's that negative reinforcement. Some people like positive reinforcement. I think it's, I think that was one of the best things I've ever had happen to me uh, work-wise. And so that's what I tell people. We kind of live in this weird generation where like you can literally almost look up everything. Like it it takes a little patience. Uh, There's a lot of misinformation, disinformation you have to kind of, kind of navigate through but so every dickhole has made like a youtube tutorial on how to do something because they want they want a little like hey check me out i'm a professional at this i learned how to do uh website development i learned uh graphic design theory i learned uh project management strategy all by free stuff online that you got to use your gut and go okay i think this is correct asana looks like this guy's project management to like the way he talks about it mm-hmm. and it's like i'm you, you have to be an autodidact you have to teach yourself stuff because like you said nobody is gonna really sit down and kind of baby you and show you how to do it when they know there's access out there for almost everybody right mm-hmm. yeah I, I mean and it sounds like you had to, you had to have that moment where it's like uh, all right. I, and maybe you were trying to call people too to figure out what that that website timeline looks like, but they still couldn't help you probably within a work day. So it was like, all right, just, you know, t- close. I need to get quiet and just sit there and figure this shit out. And I love that. Right. I think that's a great, I think that's a great story for people to hear because now you're kind of a, you're a, a really young marketing, uh, director of marketing for, a huge franchise that a lot of people publicly don't know about unless they get their hair did a lot. And, <laughs> yeah. And I think yeah. All, the, all those things matter, you know, to get you to where you are now. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, your position is one that, you know, usually they want someone with 15 years more experience just because they think they need someone with 15 years more experience, which kills me. Uh, but you know, like, you're in a role that for, and if I don't do this in the pre pre part of the show, when I do the intro, basically Sola is a salon studio concept where it's a lot of stylists. Uh, what is it about 90% stylists, something like that? Yeah. About 85% hairdressers. Mm-hmm. And they run their own business out of a salon studio concept. So, you know, it's, it's a great business model that, uh, were the overheads taken out of their hands. They don't have to deal with const- like uh, repairs and maintenance. They don't have to deal with the Wi-Fi goes out. Uh, they don't have to deal with any of that. St- the bathrooms, you know, it's a common area, just like you would with an office. 
that had a, a common bathroom down the hall. And now I'm finding out more and more that Sola is, is 11 years old, 12, somewhere in there. Yeah, 12 years old this and, July. And now 7,000. There's, I, I, you call it salon professionals. I thought better marketing was salon owners, but I'm sure there was some dictation about that. Uh, <laughs> why, why we call them what we call them. But, uh, you know, I think that's a testament because you came along, what, four years ago, three years ago? Three years ago. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, it's seen a lot more franchise locations open, but also keeping that branding. It's not just a, a franchise as some people think about it where, you know, that's almost an ugly word for a lot of people. It, it has a lot for of heart. Me too. <laughs> well, well, I mean, like, but I'm saying like franchises, you know, people, the first thing people think about is like McDonald's and I'm trying to, right. I'm trying to say like, no, this concept doesn't work unless there's a little bit of heart in with each franchise location. It has to oh, have that. Of course. Well, it's, you know, I, entrepreneurial spirit all around you know our franchisees have it our managers have it you know and then our stylists obviously have it so it's you know it's about empowering people to own their own businesses and that's essentially what our franchisees are doing yeah and uh and basically i i kind of i love the entrepreneurship aspect when i was working with uh, a franchise group in the southeast and it was one of those things where it's like Oh yeah. Cause I get a lot of guff. Like, uh, I, I got to tell people like, yeah, I know what I'm doing with small business consulting. And then I, I think about it. And I was like, Oh yeah, I basically was a kind of a consultant for about 40 small businesses at my time working the Tampa Bay. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. You have to walk people that normally don't have that professional kind of, they don't have anybody to look to usually. And that was kind of a lot of it was like, Hey, uh, you know, you may want to consider Affleck insurance, supplemental insurance. If you break your hand, those kind of things where, uh, I, no one's going to tap them on the shoulder to give them that extra kind of advice. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess my, my question for you, uh, is kind of like now it's kind of, it's growing. The concept is becoming a little bit more understood, uh, and, it, and it'll take more and more time. But the idea is not to really mass market because the the salon owners, salon professionals, uh, they they run their own business. So it's a conflict of interest to really generally uh, kind of advertise everywhere, like you know the the real uh, low end kind of supercuts, fantastic Sam's, all those things, and those have a place too. Uh, mm-hmm. I. I, I I have a man bun right now, so I'm I'm probably in that target demo, because um, sometimes I just have to get a, a haircut when I can get a haircut. Uh, and so my thing was, where do you see kind of stuff going, you know, for for your position or or the just the franchise? I don't want to put you on a hot spot like you're you're getting interviewed or any of that because I've yeah I felt, I felt like at the beginning you felt like you're getting it in a, like. Uh, interviewed for a, a position uh but i was I, I i should have said have some drinks on the side if you wanted to do this interview and relax but where do you see kind of this concept going um and i know i've annoyed the shit out of you over the years like oh we should y'all, should y'all should do a podcast like you, you should definitely do one get that information out there like where do y'all see going forward i know 
education about running a business was big after I left our franchise group. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think that, um, you know, when I came to Sola three years ago, it was all about uh, the studios that we provided. So high-end cabinets, move-in ready, you know, spaces. And um, I came in at a really critical time in the business when competition was coming in hot all around the country. And um, nice studios are now just a necessity for a salon suites company. Everybody's got a nice enough looking studio. And I've met people who have said, oh, I build solas, but I don't build solas. I just go into solas and I measure them and I rebuild them and I package them up and then I ship them somewhere else and mom and pop salon suites opens up down the street and it looks just like a sola. So where do we go from here? And it turns, it, it's shifted a lot more into our support program. So that's why we're spending a lot more of our um, marketing, um, you know, kind of, you know, our, our goals for marketing and education now are a lot around our programs that we've launched this year so live education events um, online tools so we uh, launched an app called Sola Pro where stylists can go on and access video education and support tools and blogs and different things like that um, you know and then there's also huge partnerships being developed with uh, brands across the industry so we're looking at really like how, what we can do more to better support our salon owners um, and then you know that becomes a huge marketing message in itself is sharing those stories and sharing all these success stories around the country. Well, yeah, I, I learned I, I learned a lot at my with my time with Sola about um, about that interaction with people. Uh, but I what the biggest thing that I always kind of talk to people about was the entrepreneur, and I do it now a lot. Uh, is the entrepreneurship game or starting your business by yourself is super isolating. And mm -hmm. uh, when I started mine, my company. And we just celebrated a year at some point. Congratulations. Yeah. 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 And we're, we're in that scaling issue right now. We're in that, you know, we're trying to get to that next level where I don't have to play every, every instrument like Prince. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> RIP. Uh, but uh, my thing was like, it's, it's super isolating to run your own business because you, if you have people under you already, uh, you have to look like, you know what you're doing to them. Um, you have to look like you know what you're doing at all times. And I'm finding out that a lot of our value with a lot of small business owners is that we, that our clients is I've become kind of an occupational therapist of some sort. Like they're like, Hey, I have an idea. Is this crazy? I don't know. Like, you know, like, and I'll be like, Oh no, that's not crazy at all. Why do you think that was crazy? And it's like, I don't know. I just haven't talked to anybody about it. And I think with Sola, if you're a stylist that you want to do your own hair salon, it's a good way to like, yeah, it's a good way to like, you don't have to have a, a 10 year lease like you might at a commercial spot if you're in a retail center, you know, on your own, but you also have all like that Sola app. What, what's it called again? Sola Pro. The Sola Pro app, you have like, oh, this is a resource center. Like when I get stuck and I have a person to talk to whenever like you want to so like, Hey, I want to really step up my business. Can you help me out? I feel like that's such a valuable thing that, uh, often overlooked in that salon suite concept. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, and in community too, like what you said is making sure people don't feel isolated, that they have somebody that they can turn to. And, you know, we see ourselves as being able to facilitate that community, but we're not going to jam it down anyone's throat because some people come to solo because they actually don't want community anymore. They've, they've, they're sick of it. But, you know, if you can, but, but a lot of people come from that with, I'm, I'm sick of it. I don't want to be forced to do this stuff anymore. And they come to solo where they're allowed to choose whether or not they want to be a part of the community. And they choose to be part of the community yeah. because it's no pressure. And you can close your door when you're either having a bad day or you want a private conversation or you just want to blast your tunes and have some me time. Or you can open your door when it's time to chit chat. So, um, you know, I think and we see that a lot, you know, our our environment you know we're, we're we've been looking a lot lately at the we work concept which is a shared working environment where people can um you know they're they're basically renting a chair to do work in and sometimes they're plussing that up up to you know an office or whatever but so much of the we work environment is about socializing together and you know this collective inspiration and that's i think where you're going to see um sort of mass success across the whole solar system when they're inspired by each other yeah, 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 and it, it's a it's not naturally a community that tries to lift each other up uh, when they're in a salon because it it feels like competition. They got to mm -hmm. take each other out, or they've just been around someone for so long that it's like, yeah, I know the same stories. Like my my wife hates it for me. She's like, you know, you you've told me that story like twenty times, and I'm like, but it's a good story, you know, like. She, so it, everybody doesn't, no one wants to hear duplicative stories all the time. And it's like, uh, the WeWork is a great kind of, uh, it's a great concept as well. I'm, I've actually, mm -hmm. I was talking to someone yesterday that wants to buy an office building. I was like, you should work, you should look at WeWork because mm -hmm. if we can figure out how to make modular walls, then that bitch will be occupied all the time. You know, we can, mm -hmm. we can make it flexible for, for people. So uh, I love the WeWork model. If people don't know what it is, I think it's owned by Regis, uh, but they're just killing it. And Tampa's too, uh, I, I won't say podunk, but let's say uh, it's a tertiary city. We're not, we're not on the vanguard <laughs> yeah. of a lot of this stuff. So they're not, they're not in my city yet, but I think there's one, at least one in Denver, maybe two. They just opened their first one in Denver. Oh, really? Okay. Well, I feel like Denver is the new Austin. So you know, I feel like there's so many people moving out there now that it's like, uh, yeah. Uh, but Denver can kind of take that, whereas Austin's like, uh, we're we just stop coming to downtown, like just just stop because we can't handle this yeah. many people. Um, mm -hmm. Do you like? Do you feel good about this this uh, this podcast episode? Do you feel? How you feel about yeah. it? I want to make sure you're comfortable and like you got out anything that you wanted to say that maybe I didn't touch on. Um, cause well, I know we shared some advice and you shared what your best advice was in the workplace. And, you know, one of the best pieces of advice I ever got in the workplace was, uh, an old boss over at uh, the Pepsi center. He said to me, um, you know why I love working with you is because you always come to the table with solutions and everyone else comes to the table with problems. So if you can just think about a problem and identify your top three solutions before you even go talk to anybody else about it, and that could be in your personal life or in your, you know, while you're looking for a job or whatever it else, else it is, you know, people don't want to be handling someone else's problems or fixing their mess. So um, that's definitely the best piece of advice I ever got. And I think about that all the time. Anytime there's a monkey wrench thrown in, I'm like, okay, 
what are my possible solutions right now before I even think about the problem too much? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I tell people that a lot. I kind of think, um, I, I use uh, Ralphie May as uh, one of his quotes is like, be prepared to be ready kind of stuff. And mm-hmm. I, I kind of don't count on, I tried to not count on a lot of, uh, I count on something fucking up, even if it's a really reliable person, even if you and I were doing something collaborative, you never know, you could get sick or be out or, uh, you know, I could. And then, you know, there's no contingency solutions right there. Like mm-hmm. I was, I was, uh, we're doing a rebrand, uh, a rebrand design, like web design and rebrand for a company. And like, I would get, I'd be like, what do you think about these concepts? And it would be like, yeah, I don't like that. And I'm like, okay, that doesn't, that's okay. That's one half of the opinion I need. I need like, what do you want to see? after that. Right. Mm-hmm. And I feel like a lot of people do respond with those kind of answers where it's like, you know, try to, he should have been thinking ahead a little bit. Like this is kind of what I wanted to see out of that. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Um, Absolutely. Or, you know, I don't like that. Isn't really, that's not feedback to me. <laughs> you know, you have to explain why you don't like something or what you would have expected it's, on the other side. And then I mean, there are, want to go. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Sorry. There are, no, there are plenty of times when I, I either read an article or, you know, see something and I'm like, I don't like it, but I know that I'm not going to reply to somebody and say, I don't like it and expect that the next round is going to just read the, my mind that I haven't even thought about yet. You know, I have to really explain why it is that you don't like something and, you know, fix it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean like come up. Yeah. Don't come to the table. Like, ugh, I don't like that. That's gross. Like, uh, okay, well what's your solution to X, Y, and Z? Right. We're seeing it a lot with politics and like the weird kind of, uh, I'm on this team kind of thing. Um, with like, everybody wants to be on a team. Most Americans do. That's kind of yeah. I'm trying to write a bit about it. I can't get it cause I'm not really I can't do it without being too negative and I'm not very political. So it's kind of like, uh, I might just throw this away, but it's like everybody wants to be on a team and we're seeing it in this race where it's really heated. And it's like, uh, well, I don't like what Hillary's doing cause I don't like her pantsuit. And you're like, uh, okay, but what don't you like about like her, her stuff specifically? And so it's like, okay. And then how would you want to change that policy? She's kind of thrown out there. And mm-hmm. never get to that last part. And so I, I feel like a lot of people want to give an opinion, but it's usually a shitty opinion. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's not like it's not like calculated. It's not well thought out, even for a second. It's just like, ew, gross. I don't like this. I am gluten free. And then you're like, yeah. well, what else would you like to eat? And it's like, I don't know. And you're like, okay, well, you know, go fuck yourself. You're on your own. Um, yeah. That's why I don't really share my opinion on politics. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I wish I didn't have that impulsive behavior to kind of throw stuff out there, uh, on social media sometimes, but yeah, well, you I, know. Do like, I like the fervor sometimes I like creating chaos that is not yeah. going to hurt anybody. Um, anything you want to, uh, uh, we usually end by asking for advice and you already kind of threw it out there. Anything else, uh, you want to, any talking points, anything you just wanted to get out there or any other advice you're, more than welcome to throw out there just fake it till you make it (laughs) i like it i I think you have to and i think you have to believe in yourself so it's like a a, totally Mm -hmm. it's like a fake way of getting confidence in yourself sometimes and being like yeah 
I tell everybody like when I, uh, every job, I'm just like, when you want to get to that next step, I was like, I'll figure it out. Like, but I got to act like I, I, I can, I can do it. It's like, Hey, you got to figure out e-commerce logistics and how it goes to our shipping. And it's like, yeah, yeah, I got it. And then I turn around and like dry heave. Uh, but I would, yeah. I would just go, yeah, I got it. And then I'll just, I'd fucking, it might take me all weekend and I might burn that, but now I have that skill. And mm -hmm. I think, I think if we took anything away from your kind of story and, uh, having you on is kind of like, you know, work a lot to be able to be a multitasker, to think ahead, to figure out how to delegate when you're at your position. Uh, and you know, you have a better disposition than I do. You're very, you're a lot nicer. Uh, <laughs> I'm not always that nice. Well, but I try. Well, yeah, but <laughs> generally you're a lot nicer than I am. I'll be like, yeah, go cut it. Bye. And then like people are like, that guy's such a dick. And I'm like, uh, whatever. I got, we got a lot of stuff going on. So, uh, thank you for coming on. Um, I hope. Thanks for having me. This is I awesome. Hope, I hope this audio comes out correctly. I'm, I'm sweating right now. Uh, but I think it will. I think it will be good. I'm no producer, but seriously. Well, if we you. do it again, I won't act like I'm at a job interview. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, you're fine. I was just saying like, I can feel like, uh, you're representing the company you're working for. And I, I wanted to have you on for you because I know how you, you function. And so, I talked more about my first job than I did about my current job. <laughs> that's the point. That's, that's, yeah. we want to see the hustle. This is, this is not your uh, four hour body workout, Tim Ferriss. We, we want to be the opposite of that. I don't want the visionary. Yeah. I don't want the visionary stuff with you on a turtleneck talking about you have to think openly. I, I want like, Hey, I was, I was a beer server and I should have, when I had that interview, I should have seen that as value and not uh, a negative point. So right, absolutely. I think mm -hmm. those things are what people are taking away. And I honestly, we don't have a crazy amount of listeners, about five hundred or a thousand, give or, give or take per episode. But the people that listen really like the advice because we have again that age group that is a lot of our friends that are just kind of like. God, I got to get out of this job. I want to do something else. Mm -hmm. They know or they don't know, but they know they need to go in a different direction. So I think this, your advice was really good for this episode. And uh, thanks for cool. coming on, dude. Oh, well, thank you. Well, good to talk to you. And, uh, and happy anniversary again. One year. That's exciting. Yeah. 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 If, uh, if, uh, <laughs> if, if you saw my dry board uh, behind me uh, a little bit to the other side, you'd be like, oh, wow, he's really losing his mind in there. But uh, it's a good problem well, to have. You can see my office behind me. You can see I'm probably losing my mind a little too, but that's good. It looks clean as I shit. get bored if I'm not losing my mind a little bit. I agree. I, it, it's good to make yourself a little panicky. So uh, right. can't close that out in any better way. Thank you for coming on. And uh, mazel tov. I'll, see, I'll talk to you later. <laughs> All right, bye.